The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York City, and here is your top five at five. Could you be making more money once again today? Futures, they are higher and looking to add to an October to remember. Low rates, cheap money, and solid guidance from companies helping power the move higher. We are going to hit the big names out with their earnings last night. Somebody called the sheriff. Robinhood shares down 10%. Crypto trading disappoints. Stock down nearly 50% from its post-IPO high. In D.C., Democrats reportedly set to unveil sweeping new tax changes around the trillion-dollar spending package. And it might mean a tax cut for many of you watching right now. We asked, and you answered. Today's RBI is about how long you think higher prices and inflation going to stick around. The results all ahead on this Wednesday, October 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, and let us jump right into this record rally because we may have more record rallying ahead. Stock futures, they're up, not by a lot, but they're up. Now they're down. I just said they were up. This is what happens, folks. This is the market. It's amazing. They were up 10 10 points. Now they're down. Either way, we'll see what happens today. Look at fair value. I'm going to call that unch, unchanged. Either way, we made new highs again yesterday. The Dow seeing its 38th record close of the year. The S&P says... I can do better than that. 57 record highs this year. And the NASDAQ remains just about 1%, very close to its all-time high. Hey, maybe we'll get there today. Well, stocks up, crypto down, Bitcoin back below 60,000 this morning. We're at 59 and change there. In fact, all the major cryptos down about 4%. Let's also look at something that we don't talk about much, and that is the defense stocks, because It was a rough day yesterday. The sector ETFs falling. You can really kind of thank Lockheed Martin for their move lower as well. Aerospace and defense is now the S&P 500's worst sector over the past week. Now to earnings. And why don't we blast out and blast through some of the key numbers that rolled out last night. Here we go. First up, Microsoft, a big work-from-home winner. Revenue growth hitting 22%. And that is the fastest pace of sales growth since 2014, earnings topping 20 billion bucks for the first time ever. Microsoft stock up 2% in the pre-market. Twitter also higher. Revenue growth there hitting 37% to 1.28 billion. And unlike Snapchat, Apple's privacy changes, eh, not as bad as expected when it comes to Twitter's advertising. That outlook was in line with estimates. That stock up about 2%. But look at that. On the flip side, Robinhood. The stock now below its July IPO price on a huge revenue miss. 
company says that crypto and retail trading is dropping off. And barring a turnaround, this is likely to persist through the rest of the year. Shares down 11% to 35.18. And hey, while many retail investors may be losing money, the billionaire founders, well, they're still billionaires. All right, let's move on. Get global now and turn to Europe because we are seeing a little bit of red on the screen. But as always, there is news behind the move. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom. And yeah, there is well, quite a bit of red on the screen behind you this morning, Juliana. There is, Brian, and the sell-off that we've seen in Europe so far this morning has accelerated in the last half an hour or so. We've got red across the board. Every major region is trading lower. And this comes after a weak handover from Asia. The Asian market sold off in the overnight session. Also, it comes after a strong day yesterday for European markets. The stock 600 rallied nearly eight-tenths of a percent yesterday. But the negative momentum has been gaining pace. And as you just pointed out, Brian, U.S. futures turning negative in just the last moment. So we had seen some divergence earlier on. U.S. futures positive, European markets negative. Now it seems as though global markets are turning a little bit more sour. Corporate earnings firmly in focus in Europe. So let me take you to the big movers this morning. This is just a few. We've got a, a ton of names reporting this morning. Deutsche Bank shares taking a pretty significant hit, down more than 5% this morning. Deutsche Bank posted a beat on third quarter earnings with net profit of 194 million euros, but the German lender suffered a revenue dip in its investment banking unit. Santander, another stock that's taking a pretty substantial hit this morning, down 3.6%. Santander Air posted third quarter net profit of 2.2 billion euros, results boosted by a reduction in loan loss provisions and sound performance by the Spanish banks, U.S. and U.K. units, but not enough to get the stock going. And then finally, we'll just highlight Heineken. The company reported a more than 5% drop in beer sales for the third quarter as a COVID lockdown in Vietnam hurt sales in one of its key markets. So, Brian, supply chain issues continue to dominate the corporate earnings narrative. Earnings continue to be positive relative to expectation. But it seems as though investors are a little bit cautious around what's to come. And maybe the only place in the world where alcohol consumption, or at least Heineken beer, is actually down. Juliana Tadelbaum, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, now let's get some of this morning's top stories, including a big decision on vaccines for kids. Savannah now is here now with that and more. Savannah. Hey, Brian. Good morning. So, Brian, the FDA's advisory panel giving its approval for Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine to be using kids 5 to 11 years old. The panel voting 17 to 0 with one abstention for emergency use authorization. The decision now goes to the FDA, which is expected to make a ruling on the matter in the coming days. If it approves the move, it will expand eligibility for the vaccine to 28 million kids right here in the U.S. Former Vice President Al Gore is launching a new asset manager to prioritize ca tackling climate change over short-term financial returns. According to reports, Gore, who is teaming up with financier David Blood, is launching Just Climate Today, which has the backing of Microsoft, Ireland's Sovereign Wealth Fund, and a foundation linked to IKEA. The fund plans to invest in solutions that will help to limit global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And the FTC is putting more than 1,100 companies on notice that it will target them if they make misleading claims about money-making opportunities. Uber, Lyft, Amazon, DoorDash, and Fiverr among those receiving the warnings. The FTC stressing that by the companies receiving the notice, it does not suggest they have engaged in deceptive or unfair practices. Brian, back to you. 
Yeah, that Al Gore move coming is the biggest climate summit in the world. It kicks off over the weekend as well. I suspect exactly. that timing is not accidental. Silvana, <laughs> yep, we'll yep. see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. You got it, Brian. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money with the Dow and the S&P continuing just to bang out new record highs as cheap money as investors still pouring in. But your first guest today says don't get too comfortable. It may be time for a pause, but maybe one that refreshes. Vance Howard is the CEO and portfolio manager at Howard Capital Management, handling over $3.3 billion. Vance, good to have you back on the program. This market has been running really, I mean, forget about the futures right now. The futures may be down a touch, but October has been spectacular. Almost every major index is up at some point. Do we need to maybe just, you know, get out of the play, get on the bench and take a breather for a few minutes? Not not at all. Not at all. This market's going higher. The HC on buy line's positive. Any pullback, you should be buying into it. We're just hitting a technical top here. You look at the S&P, it's very obvious that we're, it's just a technical top. We'll probably get a little bit of a pullback, maybe a point or two. I think the market will reset for a few weeks, and I think towards the end of the year, we're going to see uh, new highs on all three exchanges. So I think it's a wonderful thing. I would be very bullish right here. You know, and, and another What's point, driver? too. Well, there's just too much cash on the sidelines. And another thing, too, when you saw that pullback in September, that was sort of a resetting of the market also. You know, October always gives me a little bit of heartburn, Brian, because I still remember the October uh, 87 crash. My wife and I were about to get married in November. We didn't really have any money. I'd taken a $3,000 account and run it up to 16000 back when I was 22, 23, thought I was a stock market genius. And the 87 crash happened. And I remember I went from 16000 back to my original three. So, you know, I'm glad to get October behind us. It's, I think it's a great thing that we had that little pullback in September, the beginning of October. But I'm very bullish going into the last two, two, two months of the year. Well, you probably learned some valuable lessons that have helped you along the way, Vance. You're obviously doing all right. So, you know, tough lesson to learn at 22, but one that probably helped you later on. Better than that than a couple hundred thousand or million. Let's talk about that. You said all the money on the sidelines. I mean, that's really it. I know we like to talk about earnings and all this fundamental stuff, but the reality is if everybody is just putting more money up in their 401k allotment, whatever it may be, into the market every month, there's more buying power, there's more juice, there's more cash, it's going to go up. I mean, that's pretty much what's happening, right? Yeah, and I mean, bond yields, you know, everybody keeps talking about bond yields ticking up. Let's face it, the return on bonds are just terrible. I mean, you know, the 10 years that we got 160 or something, you really want to make a point and a half? I mean, so, you know, bonds are almost like cash. So as the market becomes a little bit, uh, you know, more robust and the market starts to break out again, you'll see some of that money come out of bonds back into the equities market. But we look at cash buildup, Brian. I look at it all the time. Cash buildup is the fuel behind any market moving higher. And there's a tremendous amount of cash sitting on the sidelines and it's going to start to be deployed. And um, so I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of built in base to this market. And I think you're going to see a really good rally into the last two months. Quickly, leave us with some ideas. Excellus, Brooks Automation, semiconductor names we don't talk about very much, if ever, really. Well, you know, I thought that was an interesting thing because, you know, Brian, I've been bullish on SOXX, which is the semiconductor index. We own quite a bit of it. But like when you look at the, there's a lot of components that go in to make a chip. And people don't realize that when you look like at wafer boards, vacuums, all the little different pieces that go in to make that chip. There's manufacturing companies that build that kind of equipment like Brooks Automation. And the revenue and the earnings from Brooks are just looking really good. But if you look at the technicals on like Brooks and Excellus and et cetera, the way they're basing, they look like they're just getting ready to break out 
of a 52-week high. And I love breakouts. I don't like bottom fishing, man. I like getting a stock that's moving and making money and can make the cash register run. And these are two plays that I think are getting ready to break out and really, you know, really make some money. All right, Brooks Automation and Excellus, we love it. Some new ideas from you this morning. Vance Howard kicking off the show, and we appreciate it. Thanks for getting up early, Vance. We'll see you again soon. Take care. Thank you, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. All right, we are just getting started on this busy Wednesday. And when we come back, Democrats scrambling around a new billionaire tax proposal and corporate minimum tax. Now, one key Senate holdout says she's on board, but could this also mean a tax cut for you? Plus, conservatives targeting Larry Fink and BlackRock with a reported $1 million ad buy over their alleged ties to China. President Xi Jinping, the ad and BlackRock's reaction ahead. Later on, Robinhood missing the target. Shares down 10%. Tell you why some retail investors are likely to not be happy this morning. Busy Hour rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories of the morning. Here we go. Stock number one, Texas Instruments. Revenue missing forecast guidance was not great. It is dealing with continued supply chain issues. TI facing a shortage of parts used in making chips for everything from cars to smartphone shares. They are down about 3%. What's in your big money wallet? Well, sorry, it's stock two, capital one. Posting better than expected third quarter results on a rise in net interest income. And like many other big banks, it was helped by dipping into reserves originally set aside for potential credit losses. Shares are not down a lot, down about 1%. And stock three, F5 Networks reporting a solid third quarter beat. Says customer usage is up around more awareness, around security that is helping its business. Shares of F5 up nearly, well, 5% this morning. All right, still on deck here on WEX. Talk about boiling over details into the options action around one commodity-linked ETF that's seen its price nearly double the past two months. Dr. J, John Nigerian talked about it. He is here to weigh back in. Stick around. Today's big number, 90%. That's the share of global trade that's transported by sea, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. 
Maritime trade volumes are expected to triple by 2050. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Will this big record rally roll on today? Well, I wish I could tell you, but I simply do not know. Because we are seeing a mixed trade. Dow futures off 14, NASDAQ futures up 5. That could change in the blink of an eye. Earnings, cheap money, a lot of headlines. We'll see if the market takes a brief pause. We're going to find out. Coming up, we asked, you answered. Your morning RBI with how long all of you believe inflation is going to last. And a gentle reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. You're driving down the road like I will be to D.C. tonight. Well, I'm not going to listen to my own podcast because I don't like the sound of my voice and I know what I said. But that said, follow our podcast on all the major platforms and listen wherever you may be. We are back right after this. A developing story this Wednesday morning. Democrats closing in on a deal to raise taxes on billionaires and companies, but could also mean that many of you watching now could actually get a tax cut. We'll dive in. Google, Microsoft, and Twitter. Oh, my. The earnings parade marching on with some big-time numbers and stocks on the move. Robinhood missing the mark. Its shares crushed. Trading and crypto traffic take a dramatic dip. It is all happening on this Wednesday, October 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back and good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Get a very quick check of stock futures right now. They're not doing a whole lot, I'm not going to lie to you, they're flat. But it is no denying the strength of this recent market rally. It has been in October to remember. And here is something that could and probably should be an RBI. The S&P 500 hitting a new intraday high 70 times this year, and it's hit a record closing high 57 times. If somebody today takes you aside and said, my gosh, how many times has the S&P 500 hit a closing record high this year? You're going to look them right in the eye. Hold their shoulders if they want to and say, the answer is 57 and they will praise you and you will be good. Also, we're going to look at bonds. The 10-year treasury right now, well, we're seeing a little bit of a pullback from the 1.67% yield that we saw earlier in the week, but still very, very low historically. Speaking of things that are not low, we talk about a lot about inflation and higher prices. I want to take a look at something you probably use every day, not gasoline. It is wheat. That's right. Wheat. Wheat fit futures, they are soaring right now. And in fact, they're on pace for five straight months of gains. And again, if somebody pulls you aside and says, oh my gosh, how many months has wheat made a record high? You're going to say it's the first time that it has gone up five months in a row since 2007. Educating. There we go. Wheat. Wheat. Used in a lot of things. All right. 
Now let's get to a few stories outside of the world of money and business. And on a much more serious note, the latest on the continued investigation into the death of the cinematographer on the set of Alec Baldwin's movie Rust. Here with that and more is NBC's Francis Rivera in New York. Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yes, today the sheriff and district attorneys will begin laying out what they've found so far in the fatal shooting on the set of the movie Rust. In an interview with the New York Times, District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwies said that everything, including criminal charges, are on the table. She also took issue with the description that a prop gun was used in the shooting, adding that it was a, quote, legit gun, an antique era firearm. There were reports that crew members used the guns for target practice hours before the shooting. Those reports are unconfirmed. The DA and the Santa Fe County Sheriff will hold a press conference later today. That powerful nor'easter is still hammering New England. Overnight wind gusts along the coast of Massachusetts reached as high as 94 miles per hour. That's hurricane force strength. At least a quarter million homes have lost power. The Northeast has also been drenched in heavy rain. Some places like New Jersey and New York, about a month's worth fell in less than a day, causing flash flooding. Swing at strikes and not balls. Here's one slammed into left field. How about that start to the World Series? Solaire will take the trip. And he puts Atlanta up one zip. Jorge Soler making history right out of the gate in the World Series. He became the first player in history to hit a leadoff home run in Game 1 of the Fall Classic. He put the Braves on the board, and Charlie Morton kept the Astros off it. A brave effort for Morton, who threw 16 pitches after fracturing his fibula. He would leave the game in the third, but Atlanta stayed in control. The Braves take Game 1 on the road. 6-2, you got Game 2 tonight a little after 8 p.m. Always tough when it comes with our schedules to stay up for those games, Brian. Yeah, and if people missed what you said, Francis, I want to repeat it. Charlie Morton took a line drive off his lower leg. He broke his leg, still pitched 16 pitches, Mm -hmm. and struck out Jose Altuve with a broken leg. Yep. That fibula, I mean, that is something else. So we'll see what happens in game two, three, four, however many it takes. Right. Well, yeah, he'll be out for the rest of the series. Hopefully that won't happen again. But truly amazing by Charlie Morton. Wish him well. Francis, thank you very much. All right, right now to some breaking news out of Washington and new details on Democrats' plans to raise taxes on billionaires and companies, all part of an effort to pay for President Biden's social spending plan. Elon Moy joining us now at the very latest as these details are literally sort of fluid moment by moment. Elon, good morning. Where do we stand now? Well, good morning, Brian. We are learning now how that billionaire income tax would work as Senate Democrats try to find ways to pay for that social spending plan. Now, this bill would impose the capital gains tax rate on anyone with $100 million in income or a billion dollars in assets for three consecutive years even if they have not realized those gains. Democrats estimate only about 700 people fall into this category, but they could end up paying hundreds of billions of dollars in tax over the course of a decade. Now, this measure is spearheaded by Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden, who said the billionaire's income tax would ensure that billionaires pay tax every year just like working Americans, and he vowed that the thresholds would not be lowered. This is aimed squarely at the very rich. Democrats hope that this could take effect next year, but they would give billionaires five years to pay off this new bill as they adjust to the system. Tradable assets like stocks would be marked to market at the end of every year, but non-tradable assets like real estate, those taxes would be deferred until sale 
and then all the tax plus an interest charge would be due. Now, the billionaires themselves would be responsible for determining if they're eligible for this tax. The IRS is not going to know what your assets are or necessarily what's held in a trust. But Democrats are trying to create guardrails to discourage gaming the system. So, Brian, even if you renounce your citizenship and move to Switzerland, you would still owe all the taxes on those unrealized gains. Back over to you. There, there, uh, hold on now. There's a lot to unpack here. So I want to get to something on state and local taxes in a second. But first, I want to repeat again what you just said. The billionaires would be responsible for reporting to the IRS that they're billionaires and how many billions they have. Because the money is going to be, of course, not just put in a bank account. It's going to be hidden in trusts and moved around. So the IRS probably wouldn't even be able to find out. It's the goodwill of billionaires that we are going to be relying on. Oh, that's right. This is a problem and they know it. Um, this bill would also come with some language to allow Treasury to write rules to, um, you know, try to enforce this. But as we know, those bank reporting measures are also highly contentious in Congress. Not everyone supports them. So exactly how they're going to enforce this is unclear. That being said, we know who the richest of the rich are. Those 700 names, the very top of those are not hard to come up with. So uh, it's quite possible that yeah. they'll know at least a few of the people on the list. Yeah, well, Europe did try a wealth tax and it failed. In fact, most companies end up scrapping it because it cost more to enforce it than they actually raised. Anyway, let's talk about something that might affect a little bit of a higher percentage of our population and viewership right now, Elon, which is the cap on the state and local tax deduction. Cowan and company out with a report yesterday that they're talking. I know you've talked about it, says that some Democrats may actually raise that limit. In other words, for people in, you know, where you are in D.C., me in New Jersey, New York, Boston, that pay high property taxes. Could there be a tax cut coming? Yeah, so this is a real problem politically for Democrats. You know, I've been talking to the lawmakers who are really vocal about doing something with the so-called SALT deduction. Some of the options out there include raising the cap on the limit on the deductions, you know, changing the people who would be uh, have to pay that tax or even getting rid of it altogether for two years and then adding that back for two years after it would expire just to give people some relief now. Any way you cut it, what it would mean is that if you're a millionaire, you may end up with a tax cut. But if you're a billionaire, one of those 700 billionaires, you might have to pay higher taxes. And that's going to look politically bad for Democrats because all of the other ways that they've tried to go after to raise taxes on the wealthy, that's not going to fly with their entire caucus. Yeah, but it's fair enough, Alon. But I want to, you know, listen, there are people that are just, you know, teachers and accountants in New Jersey who their property taxes are above 10,000. There's people I know that pay 15 and 20,000 bucks and they're, you know, they're, they're not millionaires or billionaires. It's going to be a politically maybe third rail for the progressive side. We'll see where it goes, Alon. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, tech stocks have built a few billionaires in their time. So why don't we talk about some and hit more big money movers. Microsoft up first. First quarter earnings and revenue topping forecasts. It continues to benefit from the global shift to remote work. Sales from its Azure and other cloud services jumping 50%. Yep, 5-0. Google also topping analyst estimates with its third quarter results. And its parent company posting its highest sales growth in more than a decade. Smaller companies pouring more money into digital ads into customers who are hopefully buying more products online. Companies ad revenue topping 40%. And rounding out the trifecta, Twitter, 
Third quarter earnings beat, revenue roughly in line with forecasts as it managed to weather the privacy changes to Apple's operating software. Twitter's revenue isn't as tied to targeted digital ads, some of its rivals like Snapchat or Facebook. Joining us now to break it all down is Gene Munster. He is co-founder and managing partner at Loop Ventures. And I know you're all usually on the 5 p.m., but you're doing 10 the hard way. We'll do, we'll do 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. So let's steal a playbook from Fast Money, Gene, and play kind of a game this morning, shall we? If you had to pick the better numbers, Microsoft or Google, who would it be? Easy answer, Brian. It's Google, that 41% growth that you enumerated. That is the best in 14 years. Google is the oxygen of the Internet. And part of it is, uh, you know, the upside between Microsoft and Google for the September quarter was equal. Each of them beat uh, revenue expectations by 3%. Uh, the growth of Google, 41, compared to Microsoft's overall growth of 22%. Obviously, the valuation is fractionally higher for Google. But the reason why I think that that uh, is one that stands above here is that this trend around Google, I guess you could argue of all big tech, but in particular around Google, is that it's as good as it gets, the 41% growth best in 14 years. But if I think about those two companies, Google versus Microsoft, I think our dependence on Google ultimately is greater. And then outside of that, I think Google's other bets, even though they haven't yielded any upside, I think, relative to shares, I do think that they have significant potential. That compares to Microsoft, which their other bet, if you will, they have some augmented reality uh, uh, initiatives going around with their HoloLens. But for the most part, Google is, I think, better positioned for that big lever, Mm. longer term. So my vote is with Google. Well, and as you have said, Google is the oxygen of the Internet. I mean, they've got their own operating system. They they dominate pretty much, I won't say monopoly because I think it's a dirty word, but they have a large stake, shall we say, in the digital online ad market as well. But let's not knock Microsoft either, though, Gene, right? I mean, when I just said 50% jump for some of their numbers, Azure is growing. They are a clear beneficiary of the remote work trend. Definitely. You know, the the 22% growth is impressive. It's about double where it was before uh, all this started. And ultimately, I think this this work and learn remotely that has benefited uh, a lot of companies, including Microsoft, I think that the significance of this is really hard to enumerate. I think that the impact is going to go on for multiple years. It is such a shock to the system. We've talked so much about it. But I think that our behaviors are, are forever changed. And I think that that has a tailwind for companies like Microsoft, uh, Google, Apple, all of those will have a benefit, I think, beyond what is priced into shares. And maybe to, to put it in a, a different way, as we think about these results and think about fast forwarding through the December quarter, I suspect that the commentary is going to be very similar about this in c- continued dependency on these companies, along with impressive results. Yeah, the numbers certainly were impressive, though. We'll see if all that gain has already been priced in this year. I guess we'll find out today. No time to get to Twitter, Gene, but we do appreciate you coming on nice and early, my friend. It is appreciated. Thank you. You set the standard, Brian. Thank you. Well, I'm the first one, so there we go. (laughs) Gene, thank you. Do appreciate that. All right. Uh, By the way, do not miss Twitter CFO Ned Siegel this morning at 8.40 a.m. Eastern time on Squawk. Talk more about their results, some big numbers as well. All right. Now to a different story. Robinhood missing its target big time. It had a rough quarter with a huge revenue miss for the third quarter. 
Among the lowlights from the report, crypto trading revenue down nearly 80% compared to last quarter. And stock trading revenue down 27%. Monthly active users and average revenue per user, also known as ARPU, also down. Companies saying, barring any dramatic change, it is going to have a rough rest of the year. The stock now below the IPO price and down nearly 50% from its all-time high. Let's talk more about it. Joining us now is JMP Securities Capital Markets Senior Research Analyst, Devin Ryan. Devin, welcome to the program. What went wrong for Robinhood? Hey, good morning, Brian. Um, not sure anything necessarily went wrong. I mean, the, the third quarter is always a very quiet quarter you know, from a trading perspective. And we're coming off of what was a historic first half of activity. You had numerous viral events with GameStop and, um, you know, a number of the, the meme coins in crypto land. And so, um, you know, I think the reality was that wasn't a sustainable or normal level of activity. I think most of us realized that. I would say um, they actually, their trading results were right on top of our model. So it wasn't surprising at all in terms of what they reported in the third quarter. I think what the market is focused on, what we were getting investor questions on last night is, why is the fourth quarter um, going to be the same as the third quarter? You know, we're seeing data from firms like Schwab on the trading side where you know, equity trading is trending roughly flat um, with the third quarter. And then on the crypto side, you, know, you can look at Coinbase volumes as one proxy. You know, they're tracking up 40 percent quarter to date. So I think the question is, is the fourth quarter guidance, you know, the company's attempt just to, to get people reined in a little bit because, you know, there were some people that were way outside of their 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 kind of expectations in the third quarter, or is there something else going on where, where their customer cohort slowing a bit more than others? I think that's the key question. The third quarter, not too concerned about, more about yeah. what does the outlook imply? And, and management did say they're being, quote unquote, cons- uh, appropriately conservative. So the question is just, you know, there's not a lot of visibility two months out. There's a lot of uncertainty. So are they just being very conservative or do they yeah. really expect a much slower fourth quarter? Well, answer some of your own questions. I mean, they kind of created their own market, right? The gamification of stocks. They had like, you know, emojis or whatever they had, you know, confetti, free trading. They made it kind of like a video game. But others, to their credit, they built kind of a new market. Others saw that, have come in, also offered free trading. Do those customers that, that left Robinhood, maybe to try out some others, do they come back? That's the question. Yeah, I think ultimately you know, it comes down to what does the company build here? And um, you know, the answer to the question directly, let me give you a couple of statistics. So um, you know, they, they obviously are known for trading, and that's driving the majority of their revenues. They're um, branching into numerous new products that I think could be um, very compelling in terms of revenue opportunity. One example Cash management, uh, you know, 25% of their customers, uh, five and a half million people, um, are already using their cash management product that they recently rolled out. So they're seeing really nice traction there. They uh, were on 12 IPOs as an IPO um, agent um, in their new IPO access business, which I think is very differentiated. And by the way, um, it's not only millennials that want access to IPOs. It's high net worth people. It's, it's folks that don't have access to their traditional brokerages. And they're seeing real momentum in that business. And we're just a few months in. And they've had you know, 12 IPOs on the platform with really nice success there. Um, they're building out um, over time access uh, to retirement accounts. They're building out a number of new products yeah. on the crypto side, particularly as they roll out their wallet functionality in the coming months. So, you know, I think if you look at Robinhood and think that it's just about trading um, and it's just a trading app, um, which obviously to this day is where they've had their success, um, then, then I don't think this is the stock for you. If you do think that they can leverage you know, 22 and a half million customers 
uh, you know, a tremendous yeah. balance sheet. You know, that's where, um, you know, to, to do M&A, grow organically, I think that's where you're going to get excited. And they're starting to see some traction in some of these products. It just doesn't happen in one quarter. It didn't happen in the third quarter overnight, but you are seeing the momentum, in our opinion, building into next year for that. All right. Well, a little bit of a positive longer-term view there. The stock right now, though, down about 10%. Devin Ryan, we appreciate you coming on, laying it out. Devin, have a great Thanks, day. Brian. Thank you very much. All right, very welcome. All right, on deck. Call this the GOP versus BlackRock and its billionaire founder, Larry Fink. They put out an attack ad over BlackRock's alleged ties to China and its president. The ad and BlackRock's reaction ahead. But quickly, as we had to break, two other key headlines happening right now. First, Rent the Runway, raising $357 million after pricing shares for its IPO at the top of the range. It is expanding that offering for 15 to 17 million shares at 21 apiece. Those shares set to begin trading later today under the ticker Rent. And your spending, helping Visa have a big quarter. Earnings topping estimates, travel spending particularly solid. However, Visa shares down a touch. They gave a revenue outlook that some analysts believe may be conservative. We are back with the RBI, Eamon Javers, and John Najarian right after this. All right, welcome back. BlackRock may be pushing for a new corporate identity, focusing on things like ESG and so-called responsible investing. But now one politically aligned group is taking issue with that and going on the offensive. Eamon Javers joining us now with more on this fascinating story. Eamon. Good morning, Brian. BlackRock, the huge investment corporation with more than $9 trillion in assets under management, is going to come under fire today from an unlikely source. It's a small conservative nonprofit group called Consumers Research. The group tells CNBC it will begin airing a TV ad campaign blasting the financial firm for its ties to China today, backed by a $1 million budget. BlackRock, the biggest American money manager. Where are they investing your money? China. Pouring in billions, propping up Chinese communist leaders, putting money into surveillance companies used by the Chinese military. But the group tells me this campaign isn't motivated necessarily by BlackRock's dealings in China. Instead, the group's executive director tells me he's running these ads because he thinks BlackRock has become too, quote, woke, unquote. The Consumers First initiative is aimed at sending a message to corporate America that to the extent they are going to try and go woke in order to distract from their misdeeds, it's not going to work and we will come for you. And that includes BlackRock, uh, one of the worst in the business. Now, Hill told me that among his group's concerns are BlackRock founder Larry Fink's stances on boardroom diversity and investing in oil and gas. BlackRock has pushed companies to select more diverse directors and has said it will make investment decisions with a core goal of environmental sustainability. And the conservative group said it would not reveal who is paying for this latest campaign or release the names of any of their donors. And CNBC was unable to independently confirm the size and cost of this ad buy. This is a lot like political oppo research, Brian. It's a message from this conservative group that companies engaging in what it considers inappropriate political behavior will be treated just like candidates in a tough political battle. And, Brian, I reached out to BlackRock for comment, uh, and they declined to comment yesterday. Back over to you. All right. Well, Eamon, a really kind of a fascinating story because you, you don't see people go after companies like this necessarily. I guess in your reporting, have you talked to anybody that believes this might actually move the needle for BlackRock? Are people going to 
stop giving money to it or pull their money out of it because they're like, oh, I didn't realize they were so aligned with China. Well, the question is, you know, what is the impact politically on BlackRock? I mean, BlackRock is not a company that has an enormous consumer-facing business. It's not a brand that, that consumers know well, right? So in that sense, politically, you can move the needle on its reputation uh, simply because this will be the first time a lot of people have heard of it. But the question is whether BlackRock will care or not. I mean, it's got $9 trillion. Uh, it's, it's an enormous operation. The question is whether this uh, impacts its business operations or anything at all. Uh, it might move the needle on the sort of political side, but on the business side, you know, that's a separate question. I think more broadly, this is a shot across the bow of, of everybody in corporate America from this group, which is yeah. clearly well financed by persons unknown, saying, look, if you engage in this behavior, which they consider to be, quote unquote, woke, well, then we're going to run these oppo ads against you and you're going to have to face some political consequences if you get in the political arena. Yeah, maybe more about other companies than BlackRock. Excellent point. Not a big consumer-facing name. They're probably going to, my guess is, just stay silent right. and move on. Eamon Javers, we have to move on, unfortunately. Thank you. Have a great day. Fair enough. Thanks, all right, man. on deck. Your morning RBI, you're welcome. And how long you all out there say inflation will stick around. Plus, one man who knows where the action is around some of these higher prices. John Najarian made a big call on a Nat Gas ETF. It's paid off. Talk more about it with him next. Today's RBI has to do with inflation and you, and more specifically, what you all out there think about inflation, because everybody knows that prices for nearly everything are higher. We've talked about it. The only question that really matters now is how long this will last. Is it short term or transitory, as the Fed likes to say, or something more structural, longer lasting? Of course, we won't know for sure until it's over, but all of you are a pretty smart bunch. So we thought we'd ask. And we ran a Twitter poll. That's how you ask people stuff these days. Asking if these huge price jumps will last, A, less than a year, B, a year to two years, or C, more than two years. And the answer is well, pretty split, though definitely leaning toward longer than shorter. 39% of you said that higher costs will last longer than two years. Super close, 38% say between one and two years, and 23% of you, you're a little more optimistic that this inflationary rocket will come back to Earth in less than a year from now. Well, the Fed and maybe the Biden administration are going to hope the majority of you are wrong because higher prices, particularly for things like groceries and gasoline, have been the battleground on which many political parties have struggled to win on. So when or if prices come down, we're going to revisit this and see all of you who out there had it right all along, but right now, the guess is longer rather than shorter. Maybe bad news for the economy and politically. Random, but interesting. Well, let's talk about that with a man who knows something about higher prices. He talked about all the options, activity, in the Boyle Levered Natural Gas ETF that has gone from 50 to nearly 80 in less than two months. And of course, John Nigerian. He's co-founder of Market Rebellion, and he joins us now. Uh, John, first off, how would you have answered that poll? What's your take on inflation? Um, on a long enough timeline, Brian, everything is transitory. <laughs> so it just depends on your timeline. Uh, overall, Brian, uh, without dodging the question, I'd say uh, probably two to three years. I don't think it's nearly as transitory as the Fed says. And I think you're going to see a, a big reaction against higher prices at the polls in 2022. 
Yeah, prices for everything. We had our wall of inflation a couple weeks ago and back in April. I mean, they've only gone up, up, up. Truly incredible. Let's talk about that because natural gas, natural gas is not Mm -hmm. just used for things like power. It goes into the input costs of so many things from fertilizers to even consumer products like makeup. You talked a while back about the Boyle Levered Natural Gas ETF. It has popped. Are you still seeing action around that or you think it's done? Um, Well, we're not seeing quite the same fevered uh, accumulation of that, but it's kind of like that Bitcoin ETF, Brian, in that um, you're talking about a fairly volatile uh, contract anyway, a natural gas futures versus a Bitcoin futures. And in both cases, they need to be rolled regularly, rolled meaning that future expires. So for that boil contract to be valid... They have to keep rolling from month to month to month, and all of those costs sort of mount up. And then they have that swap to get that you know, extra boost because it's not just a, a one-to-one contract. This is a double-levered contract. And then they, of course, reset each day. So yeah. all of that goes into how crazy these uh, leveraged ETFs can be. Yeah, and just be careful on them as well. You can lose as fast as you can gain. You know, 2021, John, has kind of turned out to be the year of of digging stuff out of the ground and and making stuff. I mean, the hottest plays are some of the oldest things. And you're pointing out some bullish call buying in things like Freeport McMoran and Steelmaker Nucor. I mean, it's it's all about literally metals and wiring and rebar. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of us thought, Brian, that when it looked more like we were going to get a uh, some sort of uh, not just the reconciliation bill, but the other three trillion plus dollar bill. Uh, we, we thought a lot of that would help in terms of infrastructure, push the likes of Cliffs, CLF, uh, Freeport, FCX and things like Nucor. Like you say, Freeport uh, pulls it out of the ground, Nucor, uh, both through uh, recycling and just its own work, makes steel products. And those have moved up in the last several weeks, but I think a lot of it is just because people are indeed uh, repairing things. And in many cases, these two stocks in particular are at the forefront of what people need when they're going to be rebuilding things. Now, we'll have to see what the reconciliation looks like, though. We will have to see it. But right now, as you are pointing out, some bullish call buying activity in Nucor. We're seeing it in Freeport McMoran, referencing some of the other metal companies, certainly as well. Cleveland Cliffs is one. It's the year of digging stuff out of the ground. And John and Jerry, we dig you, brother. Thanks for coming on the program. Oh, God bless you. Thank you, Brian. Have a great afternoon. I I absolutely will do. I'll be spending it in a car, burning fuel, driving... (laughs) That's uh, driving down 95 to Washington for the big oil hearing tomorrow in D.C. John, thank you very much. And I just gave you a tease, folks, tomorrow. Remember, you got you got four big oil CEOs and the API and the Chamber of Commerce on Capitol Hill, 9 a.m. hearing getting grilled by Congress over climate change. I'm going to be there, so I will not be with you tomorrow morning on Worldwide Exchange. We'll have coverage all day of what could really be an historic hearing on big oil. Certainly do not miss that. I'll see you tomorrow on and off camera. We'll be here tomorrow morning as well. And Squawk Box is next. Have a great day.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.